think through the question of our stewardship and our finances here as a church family. Pray that you will help us to act obediently and generously as your people and as your servants. Amen. So I had forgotten when I was planning this that we had planned to have that song, Is He Worthy, before I was going to speak. Because I, at the moment, that is the one Christian song which is guaranteed to reduce me to, to a blubbering wreck. So if I can't see my notes this morning, I'm a little bit misty-eyed because that one absolutely catches me at the moment, which is really important because you know, unless you're here for the very first time today, you know that this is our vision and gift day, and that means we talk about finances and as a church family and we talk about giving. And it's really, really important we put that in the biggest possible perspective which is the glory and the grandeur of God. I'm not here to sell you a whole load of expenses and accounts and all those sorts of things. I'm not here to make a pitch. I'm not doing that kind of thing. I'm not Chancellor of the Exchequer or a snake oil salesman. Our job is to think about the grandeur and the glory of God and our response that follows. So let's have a think about Acts chapter 2, which as close as we've got, is a template for what a healthy church looks like. Things go a bit wobbly down the track, but here things start out well. And we need to remember we joined halfway through what the Apostle Peter is talking about on Pentecost Sunday. We joined halfway through, but the fuel for absolutely everything is the message, this glorious news. The Holy Spirit inspired and equipped Peter to talk about Jesus as Lord and Christ. If you want to follow through the argument of his sermon, it is about Jesus as Lord and Jesus as Messiah. And he makes a very powerful case. And the result is that thousands of people are captivated by it. If you look at verse 37, you can see their response. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And that's kind of a model for how we respond to God's word when it hits us. They understand this. There's stuff that they've heard. They're cut to the heart. There's a real impact. And they say, what shall we do? It's been described as head, heart, hands. There's the ideal response. There's stuff we understand. It captivates us. And we say, what shall we do? And in their case, they have to repent, believe, they're baptized. They're Jesus followers from day one. I said there were three H's, head, heart, hands. There's actually four. Because what Luke shows us now are the habits, the habits of a group of Christ followers, what they actually did. I suppose they fell into it without much of a plan, though there's sort of Old Testament roots to it. But one of Luke's ways of writing the book of Acts is he repeats stuff that's really important that we need to know. And he repeats this time and time again because it's normal. And he shows it in other churches as well. These are guaranteed. These are the rock-solid habits of a healthy church. And if you look back over church history, the last couple of thousand years, whenever the church has flourished, you'll find these same habits are just sort of knocking around. And whenever the church has struggled... 
It's forgotten them. Now, remember, the fuel is the message. Whenever the church forgets the message, it, it stops being a church, doesn't it, really? It's dead in the water. But when it's got the habits fueled by the message, then it starts to be true to itself. So let's have a look at these habits. The first one is this. It was a habit that everyone ought to belong. Everyone ought to belong. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to fellowship. That's a strange word. It just means Christians doing life together. Verse 44. All the believers were together. Verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere heart. They hung out together. These Christians worked in formation. They spent time together. Remember, these aren't a group of friends who've known each other for 20, 30 years. These are total strangers and what they have in common is simply this, that on that day, they had decided to follow Jesus. They got faith in Jesus, and from that moment on, they belong. And they really were strangers. Flip over one page to the, to the beginning of, what, of this story. Chapter 2, verse 5. Luke tells us this. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. In four words, every nation under heaven. From the get-go, this is a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-language church family. That's the habit of a healthy church when they come together. And the message of Acts chapter 2 is, if you believe, you belong. Second habit, they believe that everyone ought to grow. We skipped over verse 42. They devoted themselves, verse 42, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles were the 12 people who'd been around Jesus, who'd heard him teach, who'd been witnesses of his resurrection. They were the authorized teachers. One of them had fallen off the wagon, Judas. He was replaced by somebody else. So the Christians hung on their words because how else are you going to find out about Jesus if you don't hang around with the people who hung around with him? They did so in large crowds in public. That's what the temple courts is all about. And they did so in small groups in people's homes. And so they grew. They hung on Jesus' words. Number three. They have a habit that everyone would serve. They knew they were a body. They knew they were a family. Now, they all had different roles. 
Some of them were teachers. Some of them were, had the gift of hospitality, I guess. Later in Acts, we discover that some people are organizers. They run things. There are evangelists. There are people with gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, gifts of generosity, all sorts of gifts in these different church families. But everybody serves. And finally, they had a habit that everybody would share. Verse 44. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give everyone who was in need. They shared their goods. Or verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to that. Sorry, where have I got that from? Um, they shared their goods. Oh, it's a different kind of sharing. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were sharing the good news. And so the Lord added to their number daily those who were being served. There's a sort of a, a generosity of spirit. And they grew. They were the first, I suppose, the world's first megachurch, weren't they? Thousands of people on that very first day. Where's worship, you say? Where's praise? Well, where do you think they met? In the temple courts. What do you think they were doing there but worshipping? Verse 47, they were praising God. And that continued, but with Jesus at the center. So there's the habits of a healthy church, the very first one. Fueled by the message of Jesus and driven on by praise and prayer. Everyone should belong, everyone should grow, everyone should serve, and everyone should share. And for 2,000 years, that has remained the case. There have been times and places of extraordinary blessing and brightness where God has poured his spirit down and remarkable things have happened. Churches have grown and multiplied. The gospel has spread and shone. The sick have been healed. The dead have been raised. There have been times and places of awful bleakness where there's been and there is fierce persecution and scorn and indifference. England in the 18th century, unbelieving, vicious, wicked, post-Christian. And that was the context in which God sent revival. He sent a man called John Wesley. And he reached millions of people, did Wesley. They were called Methodists. Why were they called Methodists? Because they had a method. What was the method? Everybody should belong, everybody should grow, everybody should serve, and everybody should share. That was the method that Wesley introduced. And so today, which is our Vision Sunday, we need to lift our eyes and see the world. We need to look and see London. We need to look and see Muswell Hill. We need to look and see whatever is your postcode, whatever is your street. And say, do those people with whom we lock eyes, do they need Jesus? Of course they do. Throughout the history of the world, they have done since Pentecost, and they still do today. Do we need a big, bold vision? We need that same Acts 2 vision, don't we? Every nation under heaven. That means everybody in our area to have an opportunity to hear and experience the love of Jesus Christ. But is a big, bold vision enough? For Muswell Hill, no, we want to, to ring out across our borough, across our city, across our nation, across our world. 
And it all starts individually with our heads, our hearts, and our hands, and then these habits of a healthy church. You know, in a way, what I'm saying today is nothing new. In fact, I pulled out our pre-COVID values and vision document. Our values on the back are exactly these. It starts with worship, praise and prayer. We want to be a connected people, that's to belong. We want to be a growing people, we want to grow. We want to be a loving people, we want to serve. We want to be a generous people and a gospel people, we want to share. Same thing, nothing new really. What else would you expect? But we've got new needs, new opportunities, new things to do. I'm really excited about the website, not because I'm geeky, but although that might be the case. I, I was in one of our local coffee shops. I won't say anything, otherwise I'll be advertising Doppios, won't it? I was in one of our local coffee shops, and I noticed that the place was full, and I was the only one who did not have a screen open in front of me. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I think there's pluses and there's minuses to it. But if you're asking where are people meeting, they're meeting online. And we need to be there. We need to do stuff. Hence the website. Hence the live stream. Hence the podcast. Or think about the community and the area that we live in. We've had for ages the soup kitchen here in Muswell Hill. That's being transformed at the moment. We've had the winter night shelter. That's being transformed in the moment. And the question is, how do we serve Muswell Hill today? How do we serve, serve Muswell Hill tomorrow? We've got a wonderful new staff member arriving over the summer, Ellie. And she'll have new ideas, new ways to serve. She's got a back. Maybe it's to do with um, refugees. Maybe it's to do with adoption and fostering. Maybe it's to do with debt and money. I don't know. But it's the same vision, the same idea, the same habit. Imagine if God took our habit of belonging and transformed it. Look around this morning. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one here who can say with hand on heart, I'm afraid I can't give the first name of everybody who's here today. Is there anybody here who can genuinely look around and say, I know everybody here this morning? Wouldn't it be amazing if we lent into that and we transformed it? If we had a habit after church of saying, you know, I'm, I really don't know your name and I should do it, I'm so embarrassed. Can I say hello? How's your family? Do you want to come around for lunch? If we modeled social, racial, cultural integration... London is a city which already has every nation under heaven as an audience. Maybe as a church, we deliberately need to embrace that and reach out to it. Imagine if God took hold of our habit of growing as a Christian and transformed it. Imagine if the app that you opened most often on your phone was your Bible app or prayer mate. Imagine if half nights of prayer and fasting here at St. James were the norm. Imagine. At the moment, I have one or two new folk a week wanting to join a pastorate. That's lovely. Imagine if God really lit a fire under that 
And we had to start one or, new, one or two new pastorates a week. We've lost some seating at the moment. We'll get it back. Imagine if that became a problem by Christmas that we can't get everybody in. Imagine if we have to revisit our Sunday pattern. Imagine if God takes our habit of growing and transforms it. Imagine if God took hold of our habit of serving and transformed it. We're a body. We are a body across all our services. We are one body. And I love the fact the way the Bible says we're, we're part of a body, and so each of us belongs to all the others. And that's wonderful because it means that the life and the, the energy and the enthusiasm for St. James doesn't come from me having a wonderful blueprint up in my head that I then get you to sign up for. It's that all of us, as part of the body, have a handle in what goes on. I love the fact that we've got a, an eco board up there now. The eco team has, has come together. It's a bunch of people in the church family who are really passionate about this, who are making sure we focus on it. That's fantastic. I was talking with somebody the other day um, who's looking to change church. And I said, well, you'll really make a difference in that church because of who God's made you and your uniqueness. And he said, no, not, not really, not me. And I thought, no, mate. God has made you unique. You're as unique as your thumbprint. And that means you are really important. Each one of us here is really important to the life of St. James. Imagine if God took hold of that. We were overflowing with spontaneous serving. Imagine if God took that habit of sharing and transformed it, our fourth habit. Imagine if we didn't just have things for ourselves, but we should. I mean, do we all need pressure washers? How many pressure washers have we got? Let's not do our hands up on that one. But how many pressure washers do we have in the building represented by humans? Why don't we start to bust the model and bust the model in order to be generous? Am I being hard on you at St. James? I don't think so. Not at all. There's so much to love about St. James. So much that people do. And the thing, with these, the thing with these habits of belonging and growing and serving and sharing is that they are moving targets. You never reach them. There's always a new version. There's always a step up. There's always something else to do. It's like when, you've, when you're... Um, I can't imagine this applies to anybody in the building here, but if you were on a diet, I know that nobody here falls into that category, but if you were on a diet and you take yourself a target and said, Over, I, I intend to lose two stone. And after you lose one stone, your friends start to notice. They say, you've lost weight, haven't you? You don't at that point think, yes, job done. You don't think, we've achieved it, we've done it. You think, you wait um, till I lose the next stone, then I really will look amazing. You, you think, I'm, that's a reason to press in, not stop. And so it is as a church family. There is so much that goes on here. There is so much to celebrate. But that is not a reason for saying, okay, tick, job done. That's a reason for saying, you wait. You wait. 
Now, today is our vision and our gift day. And in order to lean in, we need, as a church family together, to be generous, more generous. The church council has set the budget. You can find copies of all our accounts at the back, by the way, if you've got questions about it. We set the budget in faith. God's been very generous to us and kind to us during lockdown. We, we, we went on what I called emergency lighting during lockdown. We did the furlough thing and all those sorts of things. We've had some staff vacancies, and they've really helped us. So we are not currently in a deficit as a church family. But that's largely because we've got some vacancies in the area of operations, behind the scenes, helping us to run well and efficiency, efficiently. Our communities ministries, as I've said, our music, our worship pastor, those are vacancies, and they give a false positive, if you like, to our finances. If we want to lean in, we need to step up. As we appoint, the next steps will follow. So, what we need as a church family to face up to is that if we lean into these posts, we need, we think, about another £7,000 a month across the church family. That's to keep the lights on and pay, away, pay our way and to give away our tithe. Um, we don't get any income from outside St. James. We keep ourselves running. And the challenge will be Will our habit of generous sharing support our habits as we lean into them? Why is there a gap in our finances? Well, it's not a surprise. It's a planned thing. It's a consequence of moving forwards and refreshing our vision and saying, we are leaning into this. So let me speak to various groups. Some of you I know are newish or even brand new. If you're here for the very first Sunday, by the way, we don't always do this. Don't worry. Um, if you're newish to St. James, and I hope I've been in touch with you over the past few months, then this is something that you need to take on board and say, if I'm genuinely part of St. James, rather than just an occasional visitor, if I'm genuinely part of St. James, then I need to start regular giving. There are various ways you can do that. We'll have some information about that in just a second. But starting regular giving and automating it through your bank account these days is so simple, and it's something we need to do. Some of us need to stretch. We can stretch. Maybe there's been a legacy or something over the past year or two, or maybe we can stretch in terms of our regular giving. And I'm fully aware, friends, of the context which I'm saying this in, which I wasn't expecting a couple of months ago. I know about fuel costs. I got my fuel bill this week. I have to fill up my car too. But as someone said to me this week, giving is not discretionary. Discretionary is the second latte. Discretionary is the gym membership. But giving to God comes first because it tells us that he comes first. And it's a habit, not a monthly, oh, I forgot. 